I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Over the past two weeks, a peaceful swath of the western Philadelphia suburbs became the epicenter of disturbance and unrest. Breaking news on KYW News Radio. A prison break in Chester County. A man convicted of murdering his girlfriend is on the run after escaping custody. KYW's Matt Coughlin joins us from the neighborhood. From the green, hilly farms of Kennett Square to the woodsy outskirts of Pottstown, Danilo Cavalcante turned Chester County into a fugitive's playground. It is day three of a dragnet. Day six of the manhunt for an escaped convicted murderer. The search for convicted murderer Danilo Cavalcante, who escaped from Chester County Prison, now enters its tenth day. Out on his own, Cavalcante proved elusive. New video shows he basically crab-walked his way to freedom. We have secured that area. We are confident that if he is in there, we will find him. There's police everywhere, big rifles that they're holding. It's hard to kind of focus on anything else. Danilo Cavalcante is now armed with a 22 caliber rifle. There were also reports of shots fired. This is how it went for 14 days. From August 31st, sightings, close calls, fear and tension, up until Cavalcante was finally captured September 13th. They have found him. Sources say Pennsylvania State Police have captured escaped killer Danilo Calvacante. We know how the story started. We know how it ends. But what happened in between? And what happens next? What were some of the key breakdowns in the criminal justice and detention systems? How did law enforcement find a needle in a haystack? And how can we make sure something like this never happens again? I'm Brian Seltzer, and this is Manhunt, Catching a Killer in Chesco, from KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Jim Millwart covers the suburbs for KYW News Radio. He's been our lead reporter on the Cavalcante case. And Phil Casey's with us, too. Phil's an editor at KYW who helped triage coverage of this story on a daily basis. Phil and I are going to ask Jim questions about all the ins and outs of this story. Jim, it's August 31st. You get the notice that Danilo Cavalcante escaped. What was your reaction? Well, well, there were a lot of things. First off, when we first discussed this in the newsroom, before we'd gotten information about everything, after his escape, the day after, I, I thought he was gone. I did not think he would be in the area. I thought once he got free, he would be long gone. After 
after he killed Deborah Brandau, he took off, had help taking off, and they caught him in Virginia. So my assumption was he's not around here. He's gone. U.S. Marshals will find him, you know, somewhere hours away. Uh, and then later that day, we have a press conference, and, and sure enough, he's still in the area, and that, uh, you know, set up, set up the, uh, the next 12, 13 days. The inmate is originally from Brazil. He is five feet tall, 120 pounds, with black, long, curly hair, brown eyes. He speaks fluent Portuguese and fluent Spanish and some English. That was Deb Bryan, the district attorney in Chester County. And speaking of characteristics, one of the things that really stood out to me when the images of Cavalcante were first released to the public, very boyish, youngish type appearances for a 34-year-old, but belying all of that were the acts that he was convicted of committing. And clearly, as this search started to unfold, you get the sense that this is someone who could be very skilled and thoughtful about being elusive. Yeah, and we learned a little bit about his background, uh, you know, growing up uh, without a lot of resources, poor if you want, uh, in Brazil, uh, in in a uh, more remote part of Brazil. So understanding that that he would have some survival abilities, but also the the details of the the murder of Deborah Brandau, which is what he was convicted of in Chester County, what he was sentenced to life in prison for, is, is a brutal murder. Uh, he stabbed her thirty eight times in front of her children. You know, keeping that in mind, you understand when they were saying this is a dangerous individual. Uh, and then he is also wanted, uh, not convicted, but wanted for a, a murder in Brazil. Uh, and the details of that, according to reports uh, out of Brazil, are uh, a family was sitting at a cafe. Uh, the, the man sitting at the table uh, owed money to a gang in Brazil. And he walked up in a crowded cafe and, and shot the guy and disappeared. The other part of that, he, he was not wanted for that murder when he left Brazil. He was not wanted for that murder until he killed Deborah Brandau in Chester County. Uh, and Chester County, knowing that he had roots in Brazil, reached out to Brazilian authorities. And when the family that was at that cafe saw that image, they said, that's the guy. That's the guy who, who killed this person at the cafe in Brazil. Do you have any sense of why he wasn't one in Brazil up until this murder? I think that goes back to his ability to blend in, his ability to disappear, uh, that he was able to commit this very public murder from the way it's been described and then just fade away and disappear and then end up here in Chester County. And Phil, that brings up another key point. Well, legally, while he was in court, why wouldn't he be deported back to Brazil for that murder and said be sentenced to you know, Chester County Prison. The way my understanding and uh, the way the criminal justice system works in, in the U.S. is if you're convicted of a crime in the U.S., you serve your time in that jurisdiction. And then once that time is up, in this case, life in prison, but once that time is up, then you go into a deportation process. What was Cavalcante doing in Chester County Prison in the first place? Do convicted murderers usually get sent to a county prison? So, so what happens is you, you, you get arrested, you get charged, and that, that's when you're held in county prison, when you're charged, when you're awaiting trial. And then once you're convicted and sentenced, that's when you move to state prison. And policies changed during COVID where that the period of time used to be a lot shorter when you would be held in county jail. 
I thought it was a lot shorter, but in Chester County, their policy is currently uh, they hold people who are convicted and sentenced for 30 days. So the prisons are designed to hold people like Danilo Cavalcante. A county jail is not. But the policy in Chester County right now, which they're saying they're going to review, is they would hold someone who's been convicted and sentenced for 30 days so that their lawyer has access to them. I live five minutes from SEI Phoenix, which is a maximum security prison, formerly Greaterford, which is where a lot of life sentence murderers end up. And I was able to drive down to Chester County every day. So I don't understand what the problem is. I don't understand why there's a feeling that a lawyer would not have access to somebody when we have state correctional institutions within a fairly easy drive. I'm not going to answer any questions as to how or why this occurred. That's all under investigation. But what I can do is assure the residents and everyone around us that immediately when we found out upon this, we followed our protocols. Underscoring the questions that were being asked of officials right after the initial escape by Cavalcante was that just a few months earlier, another person who was being held at Chester County Prison got out in almost the identical way. Had you heard anything in the aftermath of that May escape that there could be trouble in the way that things are set up there, that there was things that needed to be changed or addressed? Was this on people's minds before Cavalcante escaped? It wasn't on my radar, but it was absolutely on uh, being discussed. I mean, the warden, and, and have to be careful how we phrase this, because the warden retired, left his position uh, soon after the escape of Igor Bolt, and they brought in a uh, security consultant and, and made some changes, including putting razor wire at the top of the area where, where that escape had happened and might be helpful to explain the, the video that came out of uh, Cavalcante standing in sort of an entranceway to the courtyard. In the video, you see Cavalcante. I'm sure people have seen this by now, but I'll describe it. You see him look around. You see him look in the door to see if anybody's looking. And then he puts his hands on one wall and his feet on the other and shimmies up the wall. Parallel to the ground, facing down, shimmies up to the wall. Is somehow, what you can't see in the video, somehow he gets through razor wire. And that's a question that I have. I've, I've heard that there's a gap, that there was a gap. Um, he looks like he has a towel in his hand as he's going up, so maybe he was somehow able to maneuver uh, using the towel to get through the razor wire. But I think that right there was an indication of how crafty this guy is because razor wire, I've, I've never touched it, but I've seen it, and it looks, looks pretty nasty. So he was able to somehow, while he's pressing his hands and feet to hold himself up on a wall, maneuver through, even if it's a gap, maneuver through razor wire. The other major issue was there's a, a tower that overlooks the yard, and there was a guard in that tower that was responsible for making sure nobody gets, gets out or does what they're not supposed to do. When Igor Bolt escaped, that guard saw him, immediately radioed, and they were able to get a search right away, and they, they caught Chester County officials, say, five minutes. Neighbors around the prison say it was more like 10 or 15, 20 minutes. Whatever it was, he didn't get very far because they, they got after Bolt didn't get very far because they got after him right away because the guard saw. The guard in this case, who in some cases may be coming, be becoming a scapegoat, but didn't do his job. And, and not only was Cavalcante able to scale the wall, he was able to run across a roof and then get over the fence without anyone seeing him. Got a significant head start, hour, hour and a half. So they, they did bring in 
security consultants to make some changes. That was the razor wire. Clearly, it wasn't enough. Uh, there is a new warden who was not on the job very long when, when, this, when this happened. But in the early days, when I was asking questions about why they were holding a convicted killer, you think you sentenced someone to life. You've taken everything you legally can take away from them. They have nothing to lose. So why are you keeping them in a county jail with, you know, that, that's for DUIs, you know, if, you know, other payment issues, child support, those kind of things, people awaiting trial. County jails are not set up to hold somebody as dangerous as Danilo Cavalcante and to hold someone who has nothing to lose. And then to treat him like you treat any other prisoner. I understand prisoners still have rights, and I absolutely agree with that. But just because someone has the right to go outside doesn't mean that they get to go outside with everybody else. You know this guy has an ability to be elusive, and you're treating him like any other prisoner, dressing him like any other prisoner. That's another major issue. I know in Montgomery County, when you are a certain type of prisoner, same in Bucks County, you wear a different uniform. So just by sight, they can see, okay, that guy's in that color. Keep an eye on him. Also, if that person were to get out and they're wearing a bright orange jumpsuit, as compared to the uniform that we saw from Chester County, which is, looks like surgical scrubs and a T-shirt, it's going to be a lot easier to walk down the street in one of those, one of those uniforms and, and not in the other. But when I was asking these questions early on and the looks I was getting and the responses I was, I was getting along the lines of, yeah, that's a good point. We should, we'll, we'll definitely look at that. Who am I? Who am I? I'm just a reporter. This is, that's your job. I think there were a lot of decisions leading up that, that are just head scratchers. He is an extremely dangerous man with nothing to lose. And this morning, authorities don't know where he is. There is a massive manhunt forum involving local, state, and federal law enforcement been going on since yesterday morning. He was convicted of stabbing. We've talked about how Cavalcante is very experienced at traveling well. He traveled from Brazil to Puerto Rico to Florida, then to Pennsylvania for the alleged murder of someone in Brazil. When he killed his ex-girlfriend, he fled to Virginia. Why is it that Cavalcante did not escape Chester County following the prison break? According to Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens with the Pennsylvania State Police, who was the front-facing, you know, he was kind of in charge of the search and the one that, that addressed us daily, this wasn't a well, this wasn't a planned escape. He wasn't talking to people saying, hey, on, on this day at this time, I'm going to break out. According to Bivens, the theory that they were operating under for the entire 14 days of the search was he saw an opportunity. He took it. He didn't have help on the outside. He was trying to find help, uh, according to state police. Their theory is that there wasn't a, a great support network. And so that's why he, he, he couldn't get far because he didn't have money. He didn't have credit cards. He didn't have a phone. He didn't have any way to get transit farther from, from where he was, you know, stay in that small area, even though I almost say small, it's still eight to 10 square miles. It's a large area to search, but you know, he, he was able to be elusive in that area. Let's get into some of the timeline surrounding the escape from prison. August 31st, he gets out of Chester County prison. At what point did you get the impression that officials in Chester County realized 
we might have something really serious on our hands. Yeah, that's a good question. And you could kind of tell by who was doing the press conferences and how the press conferences were handled. The Friday after, Chester County officials were kind of heading up the press conference. It was kind of their press conference. Don't be scared. Be vigilant. Check your stuff. Check your neighbor's stuff. Because if he's hunkered down sooner or later, he's going to have to rear, rear his head. Then you go into Labor Day weekend, and then you come back from the weekend. And Pennsylvania State Police had taken it over. Good afternoon. My name is Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens, Deputy Commissioner of Operations with Pennsylvania State Police. Uh, and the operation had become more, I don't know if organized is the right word, but there was a lot more to it. It was a lot more structured. I think structure is probably the way to say it. When you started seeing the structure of the search, you, you began to get a scope of what, what they realized they were dealing with. Because that's a big reason. Everyone, why don't they just go get them? <laughs> well, go take a walk around Longwood Gardens in, in, in that 8 to 10 square mile uh, terrain, and, and you tell me if you could find someone in there, uh, especially someone that you have to consider dangerous. You don't know what he has. Can you paint more of a picture of just exactly the type of area that the search was concentrated to and perhaps some of the advantages that Cavalcante had once he got free? Yeah, this certainly wasn't your wonder year suburbs <laughs> with the, 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 you know, the, the bi-level homes, you know, stop signs and, and kids riding bikes on sidewalks. Get, erase that from your mind. Uh, Chester County, uh, one of the popular uh, aspects of Chester County is its open space. And the county's worked hard to preserve that. Uh, and that's, that's why it's popular. Uh, and then you get Longwood Gardens, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a very large area that is, you know, open space. Um, the actual part that, that people who know Longwood Gardens are familiar with, where, you know, you walk around and see Christmas lights or whatever, you know, time of year it is. But then there's also areas around it that they preserve. You know, when we were out at, at uh, one of the search scenes the one day, there was a neighbor who came by and he was on his, on his four-wheeler. And he said, I ride in those, in those woods all the time. And even in the middle of the day, it's so dense in some of those parts that it's, it's almost like dusk because the trees are so thick, you know, the, the overhead that, that the light doesn't filter through. And, you know, it's almost like evening, dusk in the middle of the day. So you can imagine what that's like. And, and one of the patterns uh, that Lieutenant Colonel Bivens said that they were able to pick up pretty quickly was uh, Cavalcante liked to move. He would kind of, you know, settle in during the day wherever he would hide during the day, and then he would move in the evening. I guess to put this kind of in reference, Chester County Prison is probably about four or four and a half miles from where the search area, the initial search area, the, the initial perimeter that we really started to focus on. So it's about four, four and a half miles if you're taking, you know, Google Maps, which I don't think he had. That open area is, is bordered by more residential areas. Pennsylvania State Police say there have been several confirmed sightings of escaped Chester County prisoner Danello Cavalcante. Well, Jim, this was nearly a, a two-week search. Can you kind of set us up with when and where he was seen first when he escaped from the prison? Yeah, so the escape was, was Thursday, August 31st. The next day is uh, when we got a report that he was picked up on, on people, you know, whether it's a ring camera or some kind of, of camera on, on someone's property. And then uh, on Monday, September 4th, state police told us that Longwood Gardens alerted them, not a Longwood Gardens camera, but a trail camera on Longwood Gardens property 
had picked up Cavalcante not once but twice. So he kind of walked by going one direction, turned around and came back. Like that, that was the initial point when you, when you started hearing from state police that this guy doesn't have a plan. And then Tuesday, so that would be September 5th, there was a sighting, a reported sighting. Wednesday, September 6th, another trail camera in Longwood Gardens. So now you're starting, again, reinforcing that pattern of just kind of bouncing around in this area. And, and at this point, state police had set up a perimeter. I intend to stress him. I want to push him hard. He'll make mistakes. He'll show himself. So we've established that Cavalcante probably didn't have a set, concrete, detailed plan once he got out. But how did he keep eluding law enforcement in those early days? And perhaps even more critical than that, how did he stay alive? How did he sustain himself and have the stamina to keep this up? They have him kind of penned in an 8 to 10 square mile area. We've since learned that he was living off uh, watermelon was one of the key things. Rob Clark is with U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force. The first time that he ate was when he found a watermelon on a farm. He actually cracked it open with his head, that he said, and then uh, he drank stream water. Also, at some point in that trail camera photo early on, they saw that he had a backpack and a duffel bag. We now know, however he was able to get that, that backpack, that there was a razor in the backpack. And he had gone, the, the images that they had put out when he escaped prison, you know, he had kind of a shaggy beard and longer hair. And then later images were showing him clean shaven. And so there was a question of how he was able to change his appearance so drastically. And also while he was pinned in, in, in the area around Longwood Gardens, we've also heard that he's told uh, U.S. Marshals that they almost stepped on him a couple of different times. And again, that goes back to the challenges of the search area. You know, people were starting to get frustrated. You can imagine if you live around there. Schools are closed. Roads are closed. There are blockades. They're checking cars. And just the, 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 the emotions of having an escaped murderer possibly in your backyard, people wanted this done. So you can certainly understand the frustration of people saying, just find the guy. For people who live in Pecompson Township and Kennett Square and the surrounding areas there, it is yet another day of tension as police and federal agents continue their search. The guy's five feet tall, 120 pounds. He can hide in a lot of different places. That first sighting was, was Sunday into Monday after he escaped, so Labor Day weekend. And then he was kind of penned in that area until Saturday. And then Saturday is when the script completely flipped. More on Manhunt, catching a killer in Chesco, when we come back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm joined by Phil Casey and Jim Melwert, and this is Manhunt, Catching a Killer in Chesco, from KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. As the search for Danella Cavalcante dragged on, there was more and more discomfort, anxiety that was bubbling up in Chester County. The mood of the neighbors here in Kennett Square is varied, though there is concern knowing there is a convicted murderer on the loose in their area. I'm not walking in any fear, but I'm very frustrated. Everyone's afraid. I work in a diner and they all come in, that's all they talk about. I think everybody's just tired and they want them to get caught by now. Obviously, Jim, we had the face of a fugitive established right from the get-go, Danilo Cavalcante. But then, on the other side, for the quote-unquote good guys leading the search, there's another character who emerges. Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens from the Pennsylvania State Police. Had you heard much about him prior to the search? Did you know anything about him at all? What sense did you get of what type of command he'd be able to bring to an operation in search like this? George Bivens headed up a search years ago in in the Poconos area where a guy named Eric Freen had taken a sniper rifle and set up outside state police barracks and killed two uh, state police troopers from afar with a sniper rifle as they walked into the parking lot of the barracks. And he disappeared into the woods up there. And and George Bivens headed up that search. Uh, and, and he was asked quite often throughout this about, you know, similarities, differences uh, between the, the Eric Freen search and the uh, Danilo Cavalcante search. And obviously the big difference with uh, Eric Freen is he was armed, had a sniper rifle, and had already, you know, unprovoked, killed two state troopers. Uh, Danilo Cavalcante, convicted of killing one person, suspected of, or accused of killing another, but not armed the way that, that Eric Freen was. But there were a lot of similarities in similar terrain, rural area, heavily wooded. So, so we knew that he had a background in searching for and eventually finding people. We have been taking a very methodical approach to this whole search. One of these tactics that we're using will ultimately be successful. They had said all along that we're going to find him. We're going to find him. And, you know, I, I think people who were closer to the search, who had more understanding of state police and had more understanding of George Bivens, believed him when he said that and had, had more faith than maybe people who were just following it from afar when they heard, we're going to find him. I, I think they knew, yeah, this guy... He's got a pretty good idea what he's doing. 
and he's able to rally and maintain the troops. And I think, you know, that's kind of an understated part of all of this. And then there was the weather, uh, particularly hot summer days in September, uh, in some cases, especially toward the end of the search, uh, heavy rain and that made the difficult, the search difficult. What was that like for police? Yeah. I mean, you got to think these guys, they're, they, they don't know what Cavalcante has as he's hiding. So they have to operate as though, I mean, he's, he's convicted of, of murder, suspected of another. So they're in full, uh, you know, tactical gear, the, uh, the body armor and, and it was hot. I mean, it was hot and it was extremely humid, you know, just being out there watching, you know, I, I've, and having water and everything that I needed, I, I was getting home with a headache, just worn out from the sun and the heat. I can only imagine what the guys in full gear were dealing with and can only imagine what Cavalcante is dealing with as, as he's, you know, he doesn't have easy to access water uh, other than the creeks and, and, and things in the area. Uh, but, but for the searchers standing there watching, putting myself in their shoes, I you can only imagine the challenges that the weather presented. And these are hot summer days. The days start piling up. Day one quickly turns into day 14 People in the community start getting more and more anxious. I mean, the, the search spanned over Labor Day weekend when people are just getting back to school and stuff. We just don't understand how he's staying away from being found. What was the messaging that Bivens and his team offered to people in the community? Well, right from the start, and the message was consistent. You know, they're, they're not evacuating people. They're not telling people to shelter in place. People are free to come and go. Uh, the, the, the phrase that they used quite often uh, be vigilant, you know, be alert, lock your doors. Uh, and, and again, we're talking about a rural area, not only your, your homes, but also sheds, stables, barns, you know, anywhere where he could shelter or get supplies and, you know, also making sure your, your vehicles are locked, you know, schools initially in the original search area, schools had to close. They were able to clear the properties of two elementary schools that, that sort of bordered were sort of close to the perimeter of the search. So they were able to reopen those elementary schools, but put yourself in the shoes of a parent who has to decide, am I going to send my kid to school? It's open and they say it's safe, but that's a hard choice. And I'm, I'm glad I wouldn't, I didn't have to make that. And, you know, from, from the school's point of view, having to decide, are we going to open? You know, these are, these are really difficult choices, but he's desperate. And if he's being chased and if he's under pressure, what might he resort to? And they all have to factor into these decisions. And we're talking about the schools, but you also have all the other businesses and properties and everything else there. Um, you know, some businesses were just flat out forced to close. Desperate and resourceful. And I think maybe you could conclude just based on how Cavalcante went about this. Smart. He was able to figure out how to make do with essentially nothing and stay on the run for so long. And, and that note, smart and resourceful. And the thing that, that struck me was patient because usually, you know, you asked about other manhunts like this. Usually someone gets on the run and they run. This was the first time that I saw someone who was willing to just wait and, and pick his chances and find his chances. And, and when I say this, you know, I, I hear myself and I, I don't want to sound like I'm a fan of this guy because this is what he did is horrible. And I want to make that perfectly clear. There's no praise here, but just explaining, you know, how the search lasted as long as it did. This was a very patient, very resourceful person. 
but the patience really struck me uh, as, as the process went on that he was able to, to pick his spots the way he did. Well, what you brought up, I think, is where maybe some people watching on the outside, especially if they weren't living in Chester County, felt conflicted. Because not to say that impressive means good, but there was something impressive about how long Cavalcante was able to be elusive and stay on the run when millions and millions of manpower hours and human hours are being poured into this search from the local, from the county, state, federal level as this went into its second week. From what you were reporting on, how did you see the investigation become more and more sophisticated? You mentioned tactical units, but what were some other tools that law enforcement started to bring to the table to try and catch this guy? Well, the, the manpower was the thing that you, that, that was the most obvious, right? That, that you saw, you know, kind of ramping up from hundred, hundreds, 300, 500, but the, uh, the technology that they were using, you know, the thermal imaging. We've got aviation support out here, canine, my mounted detail is out. We have got numerous tactical teams. I was surprised and, and not having any kind of background in any kind of military search or anything along those lines. I was surprised that thermal imaging didn't work better. But one of the things we heard talking about the weather is when you're using thermal imaging, it's picking up, you know, rocks that are sitting in the sun are going to show up. You know, the, the, these are typically aerial. You know, they have uh, planes that, that will fly over and kind of image the, the area. So it's not as simple as, oh, you know, hey, I watched Predator, right? I mean, that was, <laughs> you think like, oh, you, you'll, you'll see a thermal image of a body and then go get them. Obviously, it wasn't that simple. We- weather complicated it. The terrain complicated it. The tunnels, uh, drainage ditches. Combining the two, you have the technology, but you also have someone who is resourceful and able to, to, to be elusive. Well, the longer Cavalcante evades capture, he begins developing a bit of a folk hero status. Uh, when he was being transferred after he was arrested, you could hear people cheering. In Brazil, people were treating him as a bit of an anti-hero maybe because he was seen as uh, being held down by the imperial United States as he continued to avoid capture the long arm of Johnny Law. In your mind, Jim, is there kind of a human psychological element to this that makes him identifiable to people? What this guy did is terrible. I, I can't imagine many things worse than, than stabbing someone, stabbing a mother as many times as he did in front of her own children. You know, that, that just breaks my heart and, and makes me nauseous. With that said... I'm of a generation that grew up on, on Rambo, you know, and, and there, there is uh, sort of uh, rooting for the underdog. You know, we, we love to do that inherently. You know, you mentioned the, the cheering when he was brought out. Seeing other videos from that, not just the cameras pointed at him, there, there were people who yelled, you know, you tried, but but we got you. So I don't know how much of that cheering was for him and how much of that cheering was watching him be put into an armored car and taken to a facility that he'll have to work a lot harder to escape from and, and likely won't. We get to the second weekend of the search. This is September 8th, 9th, and 10th. And September 9th, really seemed like that Saturday, it was a big inflection point in the search where the stakes, the seriousness got ramped up to an even higher level. Saturday, 
the second Saturday, he is able to find a van at a nearby dairy that has the keys in it. Convicted killer in Chester County Prison escapee Danilo Cavalcante is proving to be one elusive guy. State police say Danilo Cavalcante stole a van and snuck through the perimeter of the heavily manned search area near Longwood Gardens. The keys had been left in the van and the theft was not noticed until PSP canvassed the area looking for a possible stolen vehicle. The Chester County has increased the reward. Now it's up to $25,000. He's able to drive to uh, East Pikeland Township, Phoenixville area, about 30, 45 minutes away, moving north in in Chester County, uh, kind of away from Philadelphia, to an area where he, not far from where uh, he killed Deborah Brandau, the, the murder he's convicted of, but an area where he'd lived and where he'd worked and where he knew people. He goes to a home in East Pikeland uh, and rings a video doorbell. The homeowner is not home, is out to dinner with his family. This is about 1030 at night and has a conversation through the doorbell with Cavalcante. Uh, We don't know the exact specifics other than was trying to arrange a meeting with this person. This person calls 911 and says, hey, I just talked to Danilo Cavalcante through my video doorbell. Somehow, that doesn't get relayed to state police until about two hours later. And exactly what happened there, we don't know yet, but surely that's going to be a key part of this story that's going to be filled in. After he talks to that person on the video doorbell, he goes to another home in the Phoenixville area, trying to find help. Uh, The guy he's trying to find is not home. He talks to a woman uh, in that residence, and uh, she also alerts authorities. And then he leaves that property, and the van is about out of gas, and they find it not too far from there, again, in a very rural part of, of the county of northern Chester County. They find the van. And so that moves the search from Kennett, Square, Longwood Gardens area, up to, we'll call it South Coventry, up up to that area, to that part of Chester County. So, Jim, that's what you mean when you say the script was flipped. They had, that night, that Saturday, they had shrunk the perimeter because they, they thought they had him penned in. And I don't know which what, what happened first, if he was able to elude the perimeter or if the perimeter eluded him. Sunday morning we wake up and find out that they don't know where he is. They're operating under a premise that he's near the van, but they don't know that. And this moved to my neck of the woods, you know, up, up not far from me. I woke up to my phone just blowing up. What's going on? Where is he? Are we safe? What, what, what do we need to do? That part of Chester County is not used to things like this. You know, this is This is so far afield. You move there for that reason. That's why you want to live in an area like this. So you're away from things like this. And now it's come to your backyard. And I'm reaching out to people and, you know, not getting any great great answers because no one really knows. You know, at one point when we talk about George Bivens dealing with media, you know, he fielded obviously some pretty pointed questions, questions with barbs. And and that's expected, right? I mean, you're going to, when you're leading a search like this, there are going to be questions. Well, why haven't you found it? Why is this taking so long? And it was during that time 
uh, when someone, I, I don't remember the exact question, but it was along the lines of a failure. Uh, you know, you failed to keep him in this perimeter in Southern Chester County. You let him get out. You know, you're letting him roam. He's, it's been, you know, at that point, was it 11, 12 days? And it was the first time we really saw Bivens, that calm, even facade crack. What has gone wrong here? I mean, have you underestimated him? Is he just that much of a worthy adversary? Sir, I don't know why you would think something has gone wrong. Our law enforcement people have done an amazing job tracking him and locating him. That proverbial needle in the haystack, and they've located that needle repeatedly. You know, the questions yesterday about is he out of state, is he somewhere around the country, and we told you we were actively searching in this area. Our people have done an amazing job. I'm very proud of the work that they have done and continue to do. There is nothing has gone wrong. Our agencies are all working very well together, and, uh, and, and I believe we will be successful in the long run. At the time, you know, there had been some sightings in, in the second venue up in, in northern Chester County. But there was still a lot of question of, you know, do you really know where this guy is? Are you sure that, that you have him penned in? There's the patience on the side of Cavalcante, but to your point, there also had to be patience on the side of law enforcement because Cavalcante was trying to wait them out. Okay, so from in here, uh, we can run all of the operations. You hear some of the buzz that's going on back here. This is the way this room looks. In fact, it's normally got a few more people. You got to look at the setup that law enforcement had at their Mission Control Command Center, something that the general public didn't get a chance to see. What were your takeaways from that? This is as the investigation was headed towards its climax. Was there anything that you noted, saw, things that you wouldn't have expected that impressed, surprised you? Well, first off, I was amazed that they, they gave us a tour. This is where the tips come in. We've got a dispatch center over against that far wall. Uh, all of our normal state police dispatch capabilities are here. We, can, uh, we receive the tip line calls. We receive uh, transfers from the, the stations from the 911 centers, uh, any information that's pertinent to this uh, particular search is, is funneled through there. Uh, what, you see, what you see up here is a uh, screen that depicts the perimeter. We went in, they said, you know, don't shoot this area, like no video over here. You know, if you can shoot this way, but please don't shoot. We don't want, you know, those screens to be up. And they, they also, they were operating under the premise that, that Cavalcante did not have any kind of communication device. Bivens did an interview standing in front of this, this big monitor that had every state police car marked on a map. And you could see the perimeter. And not only is each police car on the map, the, the, the call letters of that particular unit are there too. And dispatchers have access to that. So they can actually sit there in real time when they want to move the perimeter and can actually call out the cars tell them where to go, and then watch them go. So they can move this parade. It was, it was just fascinating to see, you know, that technology. They had uh, a large monitor uh, on, on one wall in the room that had the aerial view, you know, so they can see whatever they're seeing in the air, real time. Uh, and, it, you know, this is just, it's, it's a, a, a firehouse in Unionville, which is a, a pretty rural part of Chester County, just a, a firehouse that they had brought all this stuff in uh, they brought in special communications trucks. They brought in the uh, the trailers that state police use. Um, you know, when they're they're in a remote search, they had three of those on site. So it, it was it was quite an operation that they were able to set up that quickly. 
Up to this point, and we're talking about Monday, September 11th, into the early hours of Tuesday, September 12th, there was no concrete evidence of just how dangerous Cavalcante on the run was. But then, mid-morning, September 12th, we got the news that I think a lot of people feared as far as how this search could escalate. State police say escape killer Danello Cavalcante is now armed. The search for him now focused on tiny South Coventry Township. Uh, This is in the northern tip of Chester County near Pottstown. All schools in the Owen J. Roberts School District are closed. On the outside looking in, Jim, this sounds like it was probably the worst nightmare for law enforcement, that here is a convicted killer, brutal murder, and now he's got a firearm. Danilo Cavalcante is now armed with a 22 caliber rifle. There were also reports of shots fired. Police now telling people in South Coventry Township to stay inside and lock their doors. The search for when we when we asked that question, when we we asked, you know, how does this change things? From their from their end, it it, it didn't. They were operating under the, uh, you know, under the guidelines of this is a very dangerous person and we are taking precautions as we search. The change that I saw, that we saw, was kind of the people who were near or in, who lived near or in the search area. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. There's police everywhere, big rifles that they're holding, um, just trying to get to Chester Springs in my office. It's hard to kind of focus on anything else. Think about it. Again, we're talking about a remote area. It's not like, you know, you have neighbor that you can see. A lot of these properties are, you know, acre, two acres, three acres. You're kind of on your own. And now you have a guy armed with a scope and a light. So the big change that I saw were the people who live nearby. That really got their attention that now we have an armed murderer in our backyards. He could become that much more of an aggressor. Right. And, you know, my, my thought was kind of, you know, he, he had shown to this point that he was more interested in, in, in not being seen, in, in being evasive. But we, we couldn't know, no one could know, even state police couldn't know, even, you know, no one could know. Once again, Rob Clark uh, with U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force. We asked him what his endgame was, and he ultimately said he intended to carjack somebody and go north to Canada or get out of the United States and head towards Puerto Rico. Throughout the manhunt, we saw more and more people, particularly on social media, 
expressing enthusiasm to partake in vigilantism. Did this in any way impede law enforcement's efforts to try to capture Cavalcante? Uh, did they get in the way at all? Or did they even possibly even help capture Cavalcante? Early on, you know, you, you, you saw in, in southern Chester County, you know, some people who wanted to kind of jump in, you know, the, the private citizen, the vigilante who wanted to, you know, strap their gun on their back and go out and help. And so early on, the message was you're, you're not helping, that, that this is going to draw resources away from the search to keep those people in an area where they and law enforcement are safe. Obviously, law enforcement has training as to when and how to fire a weapon. You don't know that somebody, you know, from the public, they may, but they may not. And so, you know, that, that just makes it more dangerous for everyone. When it shifted to northern Chester County is when you really saw, and it's a different kind of mindset in, in northern Chester County, much more rural, much more hunting, a uh, lot more people, a lot more gun ownership out there. Uh, you know, even in the people that our reporters talk to, you heard people say, a lot of people have guns out here. We're out in the middle of nowhere. You kind of have to because, you know, it's not like you call 911 and they're right around the corner. And 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 the message was consistent from state police. Was, Please don't. Please don't. You're just going to draw resources away from, from what we're trying to do. You're going to draw resources away from the search and uh, potential capture to preventing people from, you know, they're trying to keep somebody from leaving the perimeter, and now they have to prevent people from entering the perimeter. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was, was Bivens, after uh, Cavalcante had stolen the van and had moved from southern Chester County up to northern Chester County, Bivens actually told us that they had, a, they had planned Monday morning to just swarm the area. So all the planning that had gone in, days of planning to do this big raid that they had for Monday morning were washed out because he was able to, to, to find a van with the keys in it and move to another location. Washed out figuratively, and then going into the morning of September 13th, washed out literally. Because you can have all the calculation, the precision, plan for so much, brilliant strategy, but then Mother Nature comes along. Good morning to you. I'm Paul Kurtz. And I'm Dave Uram. On this September 13th, police are still trying to find escape murderer Danilo Calvacante in northern Chester County. He has eluded law enforcement for a couple of weeks and is considered to be armed and dangerous. We're going to go to West Vincent Township now and get the latest from KYW's Tim Jimenez. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Dave. Yeah, police found a backpack overnight in this search, but they have not said if it was being used by Calvacante. Also, the rainy weather overnight, that has added to the challenges for investigators on the ground. Uh, But since the rain passed... Storm rolls in, lightning, so they're able to keep a team out there. Think about that for a second. You're that team in a... I live out there. That that storm was... It was drenching. I mean, it wasn't a huge storm, but it was still... You got to be alert and be aware of your surroundings while it's pouring rain and make sure that nobody gets by you. Now you have rain. Think about, you know, we all played hide and seek and played, you know, I, I played in the woods when I grew up. When it rains, it's a lot easier to move than it is when it's quiet and, and still. So that gives the advantage now to Cavalcante. That whole chain of events, you know, that, now that we see it, one of our reporters, Sadas Kuznets, got what I consider possibly the biggest scoop of this entire story that there was a burglar alarm around midnight, September 12th into September 13th. And when they get this burglar alarm, they focus resources in that area. They pick up a heat source. Now, what we later found out 
is that that burglar alarm was set off by the homeowner with a mistake on his own. It was a burglary alarm within the search area that prompted police to look for Danilo Cavalcante in the area where he was eventually found. However, the homeowner, who requested anonymity, says that alarm was set off by mistake. The house was locked up and the alarm was set while we were in the house. Uh-huh. And I walked outside to have a cigarette. And when I opened the door, the alarm went off because I opened the door without turning the alarm off. And that's what pulled everybody into the area. Had the man not taken that cigarette break, the alarm would not have been triggered. The uh, agencies were coming toward our house because the alarm was going off. That's when they flew over and were able to... Was it just luck? Yes. Yeah, dumb. Yeah. It was just dumb luck? Sure, yeah. You get a reward for that? No, no, I'm glad everybody's safe and all the agencies are safe. So it wasn't Cavalcante. You hear a burglar alarm, you think he tried to break in and the alarm went off and he ran off. Well, it was actually the homeowner that set it off. But that brought attention to that area. Just happened that Cavalcante was there. Uh, you know, the old saying, I'd rather be lucky than good. Doesn't matter how you catch him, you caught him, right? It doesn't matter what triggered that. But they focused on the area. They, they bring in the, uh, the aerial, the, the, the plane with, with the thermal imaging, and they pick up a heat source. This is around 1 a.m. that they get that heat source. Once the rain clears, they get the plane back up. They find the heat source again. And the way it was described to us is he's kind of laying down. They're able to move in, element of surprise. He doesn't know they're coming, able to surround him. When he does realize what's happening, he tries to crawl into dense underbrush. They release a dog who we now know is Yoda. They release Yoda, and this is Border Patrol, and he goes in, subdues him. He has the rifle with him. You know, if, if not for the dog being able to get control of him, who knows what may have happened. But the dog's able to subdue him as they move in, Brief struggle, nothing overly violent, and they're able to take him into custody. Jim, it's amazing someone didn't wind up dead, particularly Cavalcante. Yeah, they had the authority. They gave the authority early on. Deadly force shooting is authorized if, if Cavalcante is doing anything other than actively surrendering. That includes if he turns to run, state police have the authority to fire. Now you have federal authorities that are operating under different guidelines. I don't know what their rules were, uh, you know, local police. So, so, but, but for state police, which was the bulk of the, the, the people out there were state police. They were authorized to use deadly force for anything other than him on the ground with his arms out, actively surrendering. So it is shocking. I, I, I thought that this was going to end with, with, with him being killed. You know, I don't think it's overstating it to say, potentially, a dog saved lives here. Jim, you've been following the story with so many compelling, dramatic, unpredictable twists and turns around the clock for going on two weeks. How did we get to the point from Cavalcante being subdued by law enforcement to our own Dave Uram on KYW News Radio going on the air and us delivering the breaking news. It is 821. They got him. Sources say Pennsylvania State Police have captured escape killer Danello Calvacante 14 days after he escaped from Chester County Prison and brought a lot of concern to that area, Chester County. Police have been looking for him in the woods. And the level of attention that this search was getting uh, just increased exponentially every day. And there were a lot of people who were just putting out anything that they were hearing. 
But a lot of those people were putting out bad information. You know, there was a report that there was a hitchhiker picked up, a hitchhiker with a backpack picked up on, on Route 1 in Kennett Square that got a lot of attention and everyone was, oh, you know, and, and there were several of those along the way. So I was actually driving to the courthouse in, in Norristown in Montgomery County on my way uh, on, a, on another phone call when I got a phone call, I got a call from a number that I know when that number calls, you answer. And as soon as I answer, they got him. I was like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure they got him. Say thanks, hang up, make another phone call. What's going on? I'm hearing they got him. Yeah, they got him. I get the other phone. I make the other phone call. Yeah, they got him. And then I send a text to somebody who would definitely know, hearing they got him. Yes, they got him. Reportable? Yes, reportable. You're sure? Yes. And that's when at 821 I put in the message. Confirmed, they got him. And in fact, right now, we have KYW Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melwert, who has been covering this for us throughout the past couple of weeks. Good morning, Jim. What do you know about the capture of Danilo Cavalcante? He was caught uh, this morning just south of, uh, along Route 100, just south of Route 23. Uh, We're told that he was unarmed when he was caught. Uh, It was Border Patrol and possibly uh, a SWAT that, that caught him. We have to make sure that what we're saying is the best possible information that we can say. And that's why, you know, two phone calls and a text message before I said it's confirmed we can go with it. And then, you know, from there, then you just shift into what else, what, what, what can I learn? What, what happened? How did we get him? Then you're hearing it was Border Patrol. You're hearing it was a canine unit. There was false information. We were told that he was unarmed at the time. And, you know... I, I, as we're doing those live shots before we get the full story, you know, making it clear, these are initial reports, things can change, you know, we're, we're learning things, you know, kind of piecemeal here. And, and that was one of the things that was wrong. He still had the gun with him. He's, he was still armed as, as I'm reporting this, I still have to get to Unionville, which is not easy to get to for the press conference. So, uh, driving down 202 may or may not have been following the speed limit there there's certainly certainly a level of adrenaline i think if you hear my voice <laughs> i uh, i had someone text me saying you sound excited <laughs> so long answer to your question of how they caught him a lot of help from the public a lot getting a lot of tips and we don't know we don't know if it was a tip that led him led authorities to him at this point if it was just pure numbers it's definitely the high point of the job for me The news is broken, the capture is made, and then a big press event in Unionville. Governor of Pennsylvania Josh Shapiro was there. Thanks to the extraordinary work of law enforcement officials from here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, our local leaders here in Chester County, and from our federal partners all across this nation, our suspect was captured. Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens from the Pennsylvania State Police the face of the operation for law enforcement. He filled in some of the blanks. Cavalcante did not realize he was surrounded until that had occurred. That did not stop him from trying to escape. He began to crawl through thick underbrush, taking his rifle with him as he went. And Chester County DA Deb Ryan said the nightmare was over. So grateful to the men and women who helped with this capture. They can now finally sleep again. Jim, you were there for the big press conference. What were your biggest takeaways? For me... Two of the most important things, uh, State Police Commissioner Christopher Paris 
said it first, and then Delo- uh, Chester County DA, uh, Deb Ryan, echoed it, that the family of Deborah Brandau, who Cavalcante was convicted of killing, Deb Ryan said her first phone call when she heard Cavalcante was taken into custody was to the Brandau family, and you can only imagine the level of relief from that family that he's back in custody because just imagine what, what they were, were living with knowing that this guy was out there. And I think the other key, and you didn't see it on camera, but there was a ring of cameras. You're in, you're in the bay of a firehouse, and then behind us were just dozens of state police troopers in uniform and then, you know, other uh, people who had, had been involved in this search. And as we were waiting for it to start, you could see just the level of relief, uh, you know, people shaking hands, hugging, patting each other on the back, just like, finally, you know, finally, we not only did we catch him, but we caught him before anybody got hurt. That, that had to weigh on them. You know, I don't think people think of that when they, when they fire off the social media criticism of, why don't, why don't you just go find them? What's taking you so long? You guys are idiots. These guys are operating, you know, I hope this guy doesn't hurt someone because it's on their watch. Well, speaking of criticism, while state police got their guy, a lot of people criticized state police officers for posing with Cavalcante after they captured him, uh, likening it to like kind of a big game hunt photo. How did uh, George Bivens respond to that when asked about that from press? Yeah, he, he, he played it off. He said, I, you know, fairly measured of, yeah, you know, this was a really intense search. These people put their lives on hold and put up with a lot. Those uh, men and women worked amazingly hard through some very trying circumstances. They're proud of their work. I'm not bothered at all by the fact that they uh, took a photograph with him in custody. We have this big press conference in Unionville after Cavalcante was captured. Then after that, the next series of images that we saw come out were Cavalcante being transported to the Avondale barracks in a heavily armored car, and then a few hours later leaving there in a hospital gown off to Montgomery County being transported by an armored vehicle once again. What is next, Jim, for Cavalcante? Investigators had a chance to speak with him. Were they able to learn anything substantial, piece together more details of how everything went down and transpired? Yeah, some, some of the, the details that, that we've learned from the conversation after he was taken into custody, uh, he is aware that he's going to be punished, uh, but as we're told, uh, he was not willing to give his life, and so uh, he didn't want to try to confront law enforcement with the weapon, wasn't interested uh, in getting in a firefight or battle or some kind of shootout. Uh, there were times, especially near the end, that he did want to give up, but he was unsure what would happen if he tried to surrender. As, as for what's next for him, he will uh, spend the rest of his life in a, in a state prison. Uh, as for his sister, uh, her, her visa had expired. Uh, as Bivens put it, she was an overstay. She is in deportation hearings now. Uh, she had cooperated uh, with authorities during the murder trial, uh, but uh, as, as Bivens uh, indicated, in the press conference after the capture, whether or not she had attempted to help, there was, they had some sort of reason to believe or evidence that she was going to try to help. And he had been evasive about that 
as we were asking those questions during the search, he is confident that anyone who tried to help, they were able to prevent that, that no one was able to help. But that is an indication to me, at least, that they knew of people who were trying to help. And I believe the sister does fall in that category. So, Jim, a two-week manhunt is over. An entire community breathes a sigh of relief. But can they feel rest assured that something like this wouldn't happen again, couldn't happen again, or that necessary changes will be made to prevent things like this from happening again? I think a lot of questions have to be answered to reassure people. A lot of hard questions are going to be asked. There are public meetings coming up uh, for residents in the area around uh, Chester County Prison. And one of the first things Chester County is going to have to do, and they're not the only ones, but one of the first things Chester County is going to have to do is evaluate this policy of keeping someone for 30 days after their sentence. You're just giving them an opportunity. So that, that's one of the things that, that Chester County is going to have to answer. Jim, as we look back over the last 14 days, a lot of big picture themes came into play, whether it's about institutions, things we might take for granted in our everyday lives, communities. How did you see some of these themes overlapping and melding together? In both of these venues, in, in southern Chester County and northern Chester County, you're dealing with areas that don't see a lot of these situations. Uh, they also generally don't lock their doors. They don't lock their car doors. It kind of gives you a glimpse into you know, a different lifestyle than you might see in the city where precautions are, are, are taken because there's more likelihood that you're going to come across uh, criminal activity or, you know, potential for somebody stealing something out of your car, something as simple as stealing something out of your car, uh, you know, also kind of gives a glimpse perhaps to people in areas uh, of, you know, the challenges that are faced in, in parts of the city where, where violence is more likely, for lack of a better way to put it, the trauma that someone who has to deal with that day in, day out is dealing with every day of their lives. You know, people move to those parts of Chester County or those parts of the region to get away from that kind of stuff. And in this case, it found them. As for trust in, you know, things that we take for granted, I don't know that I would throw the baby out with the bathwater here. This got a lot of attention, but it is just one incident. And I think a lot of times we lose sight in this day and age when everything's in front of us in our phones, getting blasted by social media and other sources. It makes things seem more prevalent or bigger than they are. But at the end of the day, it was one person who escaped from one county jail. Just an incredible story. Jim, amazing reporting. Thanks so much for your insights. Thank you. Phil Casey, thank you. Anytime. Manhunt, Catching a Killer in Chesco is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The news director of KYW News Radio is Kevin McCory. Christina Coppicer is KYW News Radio's brand manager. Tom Rickert is the director of podcasting. I'm Brian Seltzer. Thanks to Phil Casey and Jim Melwert for joining me. For the latest on the aftermath of the Danilo Cavalcante manhunt, follow KYW News Radio on social media, check out kywnewsradio.com. And search for KYW News Radio wherever you get your podcasts. T 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.